everyone. Welcome. Thank you very much for being here. Um, we are at the panel. So over on Boxing, what's next? Um, thank you again for missing out on your lunch, having it on your laps. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, so I am Nellie McQuinn. Um, I have a production company called Grassroots Media, and we specialize in short-form digital content for children. Um, and we've got a fantastic panel. Uh, they, they know a lot more than I do about digital. So um, uh, in no particular order of, of, of talent here. At the end, we've got Samreen Ghani from uh, Wild Brain. Then we have got Nick Walters from Hopster. We've got Andy Taylor from Little Dot. Uh, Rachel Bardell from the BBC. Um, and we also have Paul Nunn from Super Awesome. Um, so I'm just going to, starting with you, Samreen, can you just tell us a bit about what you do uh, and uh, about your work at Wild Brain? Great. Uh, Samreen Ghani. So I head content production and operations at Wild Brain. Uh, which is a leading kids uh, media company uh, based in the UK. Uh, we manage and create kids content for YouTube and other um, AWOT platforms. Uh, we have uh, we had about 58 billion minutes watched across our network over the last 12 months, and we do 1.6 billion views a month. So I look after all of the content that we produce, uh, which includes content that we're producing for our own brands, as well as uh, and creating new IPs which will sit on YouTube, as well as uh, content that we produce for our partners such as Mattel, Turner, so on and so forth. Great, thank you. Nick, do you want to tell us a bit about what you're doing at Hopster? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always alarming speaking after anyone from Wild Brain because you just get, kind of get knocked off your feet by like the <laughs> fire hose of, of views that they, they produce. Uh, so I run, uh, I run Hopster. Um, Hopster's a um, video and learning platform for preschool kids. So we're app-based. You can get us on tablet, get us on mobile and connected TV. And basically what we say is we help kids learn through the stories they love. So we bring together video content, uh, games, learning shorts, uh, books of our partnership with HarperCollins and music in a single safe subscription app for kids. We're the number one grossing app for kids in the UK um, and about 26 other countries around the world. Great. Thank you. Andy, do you want to tell us about a bit more about Little Dot and what you're doing there? Yeah, so I'm uh, Andy Taylor. I'm chief exec of Little Dot. Um, we are a distribution company and a producer um, working predominantly on YouTube. So we distribute uh, television programming um, on YouTube. Uh, we're quite big too. We do about two and a half to three billion views a month organically to TV uh, content uh, on YouTube. And out of that three billion views, the largest genre by far is kids, which is about two billion views a month. Uh, and for us, content is either, it's not full episodes, it's either a, a clip of a a TV show, a compilation edit of a TV show, uh, or original content uh, that goes out um, first on digital um, on YouTube. Great, some fantastic viewing figures there. Thank you, Andy. Um, and Rachel, over to you. Can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing in the digital space with the Beeb? Uh, yeah. Um Hot off the press news from yes. Alice uh, yesterday. Um, so yeah, I, um, I'm digital editor for BBC Children's. So, um, I advise on commissioning and, um, I've been embroiled in the strategy that Alice was outlining, uh, yesterday. Um, so, um, my attention now is being turned to how we, um, implement that strategy. So I run, um, I've now, I'm now running the content teams for BBC Children. Um, and so we've got quite a big job ahead of us. So that at the moment, the ecosystem comprises of um, a number of apps for CBBS, a YouTube channel, a hugely vibrant um, social media presence on Facebook for parents, um, 
CBeebies grown-ups, where uh, on average a month we, we, we reach over kind of four to five million parents and carers a, a, a week. Um, and we've got a, a, a website and, um, and, and then we CBBC, so we've got quite a, quite a, um, a, 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 quite a large um, website presence and we're moving into the app space as well. And we've got YouTube channels and we're starting to move into social media if policy allows. <laughs> um, Great, thank you. I'm sure there'll be a lot of burning questions for you later on. Um, Paul, last but not least, tell us tell us about you. Okay, uh, so I'm a consultant and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Super Awesome, which is a technology and marketing company in the kids space. Uh, I was formerly Managing Director of Outfit7, which is an app developer best known for talking Tom and Friends. I had more big numbers then to, 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 <laughs> to shout about, but uh, now we still have uh, 300 million kids engaged in the products that we produce every month, so at least that's a starting point. That's still pretty impressive. <laughs> um, right, before we actually start talking to these fantastic experts, we're just going to show a little uh, clip which will give you um, some, some throwbacks into the past. Um, so if we can play that, please. Thank you. Great. So that um, just shows us a little insight into what's changed uh, since sort of digital came into reality and obviously that's not everything and for those of you who are listening on the podcast obviously that was two minutes of music um so <laughs> what we did see um was a lot from uh, cat videos to play-doh we saw a bit of vine up there um zoella some of the in real life um role play and and some toys amongst uh, many other things um so i just with all of that in mind, I want to open up the panel by starting with a really simple question, but one that I think um, is quite interesting. What, what is digital content? What actually makes content digital? Because obviously what we watch now, so much of it is technically digital. What would you guys say um, fits, fits that into that genre of digital content? I'll, I'll start with you, Rachel, at, at the at the B, what do you guys define digital as? It's, it's all digital. There's no definition anymore. There's no differentiation. Yeah, exactly. All content we make is just different sizes and lengths and it goes onto different platforms. And what we're trying to do more and more is really play to the strength of each platform. So we have iPlayer. That's, that does really amazingly for kids, like 25 to 30% of kids watch main iPlayer. So, you know, it's always, we're always flooding the top 40 of iPlayer and much to the dismay of, um, of, of adults. So, you know, and then we've got YouTube. We want, to, we want to more and more play to the strengths of the YouTube channels. So what do kids want from that, though, those channels? It's a content destination and, you know, length of, is, not, is not an issue anymore. You know, kids generally watch YouTube a day for about 40 minutes so, or something around that. So, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily short form anymore, you know. So, you know, games and video, you know, clips, and, and it's, it's all just, just content, it's just, just digital. Would you say then that um, this sort of notion in the industry of linear versus digital is something that we should probably be doing away with, um, yeah. and we should actually just be, be talking about content yeah. as an overall sort of thing? Should, yeah, absolutely. We should be talking about content and platform ecosystems, like TV, linear, is a platform, and it's the primary platform, and that's what people consume content through um, majoritively. So... But we also have an ecosystem of lots of other platforms that we, we supply content to. So, yeah, it's very, very much a different, different playing field now. So Andy and Samarina, I'm over to you guys because you obviously get what we would define as 
traditional linear programming coming to you and it's up to you to translate it into the digital market. So talk to us a bit more about that transition from traditional linear to digital, if that even exists anymore. I, I can go first. So I, I agree with Rachel. I mean, all content is digital now. If you Wikipedia, what is digital content, it will probably say something that we can be transcoded digitally. So if you look at it, all content is now available in those formats. Uh, in terms of uh, transitioning content from linear to digital, it may be the case like 12, 15 years ago. But now if you look at the viewing pattern, uh, a lot of the times content is being watched across different platforms. So TV viewing and award viewing is similar. So I don't think it's as much a case of like, uh, this is digital versus linear. When kids are searching for content, they can't, they're searching for a brand or something that they want to watch, whether they get it on the TV channel like BBC or they get it on a YouTube channel, Wild Brain. It doesn't matter. So all those lines are blurred. It's like where the audience is and what you're providing them and what they want to see. So this new generation of platform agnostic viewers that we're seeing coming up has sort of really just eliminated that, that divide. Yeah, so if you look at it in children, they don't even know what a cable television is or you know, this is a channel that they should be watching it on. Uh, and if you look at our content, most of our, a lot of our YouTube uh, content is being played on a smart TV. So for them, it's just like you know, putting up uh, Caillou it doesn't matter whether Caillou is coming on PBS in the U.S. or Caillou is, you know, they're being, it's being streamed from their iPad onto an Apple TV. So those lines are blurred. Andy, can you talk to more a bit more? Yeah, so, so for us, digital, we only work in video. For us, digital is, I guess it's anything that's not linear on linear television or on one of the streaming platforms, Netflix or Amazon, everything else a clip of that or a compilation video of, of a linear show or original content that plays out not on those linear platforms for us is digital. Uh, I'd say at the moment we, uh, we think that is completely different to television. So uh, what drives most of that viewing at the moment is mobile. So when we start a little dot, probably 20% of our viewing across the network was on a mobile today. It's probably 80, 85%. There is a move to the living room, but it's not really happened yet on YouTube, which is where most digital video lives. Um, so there's an argument to say probably that digital video on YouTube at the moment is actually <laughs> kind of pushing people back to TV. You see the brands that are really working on YouTube doing very well on television. Um, how that plays out over the next three to five years, we'll see, because YouTube, I think, inevitably is heading towards the living room. Uh, they've launched their TV product in the States. They've got YouTube Red that they're, they're commissioning, which is kind of longer form content viewing time on YouTube is growing. I think it's 44 minutes on a mobile. Um, but today I would, you know, any talk of YouTube cannibalizing TV in terms of viewing, I just don't see that at all. I think it's supplementing and marketing TV. Sorry, can I get please? Uh, I, I, I completely agree. Like if you look at the example of one of the brands that we manage, Sunny Bunnies, uh, we started managing them eight, 10 months ago, and now it's been commissioned by Disney, but the content still lives on YouTube. So now increasingly brands are you know, seeing YouTube as a complementary uh, discovery platform or brand building platform versus uh, five years ago when they used to see YouTube as a threat to the linear. Well, I, think there is a, I think there's an important, I mean, ob like in obviously at one level, like content can live on any platform, but I think there is an important difference in mindset. Right? And I think 
when you talk about digital content, you think about you have a concept of a user, you think you have like good data, you think you have rapid feedback. There's a mindset around kind of launch something relatively quickly, smaller budgets, test, iterate, measure, improve, take user feedback and develop from there. And this kind of digital concept of like continuous releasing. Um, and I think if you are, and that's not a very linear TV model, right? Like I think if you are trying, if you're spending two years and millions of pounds getting something funded, you spend two years getting it on produced, you spend a year watching TV ratings trying to figure out if it's working or not, you're not making digital content. That's not like a, you might then subsequently like take that show and then cut it up and then see, and, which I think is what Wildbrain do really well is then like take that content and then experiment with it and see what format it works in digitally. But that initial process, that is not a digital process. And I think that's quite an important yeah. distinction. So speed and release have something to do with it, a large part to sort of do with it. Yeah, speed, rapid iteration, learning quickly, fast to market, learn by doing, live feedback, listen to your users, like all of that kind of good sort of, all of those disciplines which are quite core and inherent to most digital product management um, is starting to come together with content, like production and content, yeah. content management. Um, and I think that is quite profoundly different from linear TV production processes and a linear TV way of thinking. The, the difference for me is actually much more basic. The difference between linear and, and digital for me is one is a one-way communication and the other is two-way. So not just the control, you're relinquishing control in digital. So not just in <clears throat> on-demand servicing uh, services allowing kids, whether they be AVOD, SVOD or apps, whether that's letting uh, kids take the control and have the uh, opportunity to watch a whole series in one afternoon or skip through 15 videos in 15 minutes, um, all the way to allowing them to be a part of the conversation directly and allowing user-generated content to come in and be a competitor to content that's produced by, by brands or by, by content producers traditionally. Um, it's a fracturing of... Uh, it's a, the digital is used as a term uh, to cover brands and content producers trying to catch up with consumers in, in where they've gone and what they're doing and how many competitors they have in the market. Um, and it, it, for me, represents the old is... Uh, if someone's going to watch television or if they're going to be out in the park, now there's probably 10,000 different opportunities that sit between that. So the world has become much more fractured and, and, and much more control is in the user's hands, not just in terms of producing content but consuming it en masse. Um, my son um, goes out, um, uh, sits with his iPad and watches the computer, whether it be we Hopster and YouTube Kids and the rest, and I say to him, come over here and spend some quality time with your family and watch television. Um, and that, that's the, the used to be go outside and play, you know. So I think that that's, that's for me what digital is. It's the, a two-way interaction and how do you deal with that across all of the platforms that explode out and how do you make it about that um, whilst maintaining the integrity. I, I still think I agree. I still think that um, in terms of some elements of consum consumption, movies, TV and all the rest, they're still dominant. Digital is about realising that now you have hundreds of thousands of touch points in, in kids' and families' lives where you didn't have them before. How do you find the right ones for you? How do you access them and how do you deal with them? So what makes good digital content, in your opinion? Um, I would say that the other thing that's happened is that the definition of content has been massively broadened. So that question is impossible to answer. I think it's very specific, <laughs> <laughs> very specific to the individual brand or IP that you're dealing with, sure. very, very specific to the niche audience that that has, and we should be talking about niche audiences now and not generals. Mm. I mean, if anything, what digital has done is it's forced people into pockets of interest-based, mm. you know, deep contextual targeting you can do now rather than just putting people in uh, four to nine or whatever buckets we used to have. You can now find through the proliferation of content on YouTube or any other platform that there are deep pockets 
um, deep kind of um, deeply entrenched different interest groups, whether they be through user-generated content-led like vloggers and interests, people aggregating around their own interests or others. But in general, I think that there's more too much looking outward when it comes to digital strategy and mobile strategy and other things, and not enough looking inward about what your brand would should hold in that world you know yeah. if i look at my brand is it right for snapchat probably yeah. not you know is it right for this place yes rather than saying if i don't tick the youtube box then i'm going to be fired if i don't think about snapchat then i'm probably yeah. going to be fired you know it's more kind of looking into about that i, I think it's one of the things that would be pretty good at probably yeah yeah no absolutely you know i think that that's definitely something we need to sharpen but um i think you know going back to your question what makes good digital content i t- completely agree with you I would just build on that and, you know, what, what makes good digital content is truly understanding both the needs of the audience and their behaviour towards each the platform and um, what, the, what, the, what, the, what content, what platform needs. So, for instance, on, um, on, on Facebook recently, we had quite a, like 100 million views of the video that you saw yesterday of um, CBeebies, Everyone's Welcome, and it just felt like it... It tapped into that, that a very moment in, 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 our, in our world, what's been going on over the last few months. Unintentionally, it's a, it was a video to, to promote how, how diverse CBeebies is and what, how di- diverse content is. But it just seemed to tap into something, that, which led Facebook to allow it to kind of algorithmically become bigger and, and grow to a point now where it's, it's reached over 100 million views, which is incredible. Um, <laughs> And because what, what that content was, it was just perfect digital content for that moment in time and it tapped into emotion and it was brilliant and it, and it just, it, 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 it was sort of, there was a moment of tick, yet you can proceed and become uh, a hit. Uh, and it's so, it's so difficult to do that, but I think, I think nowadays I think that's what you really do have to merge the two. So, so yeah, just getting a clip of a show, throwing it onto a channel, that's not good digital content, and we all know that. So it's really thinking what works and, and not doing things that you don't think will work um, and, and moving away from certain platforms because each one has their own specific, very specific need. And if you don't respect that, you'll destroy your, your channel. Uh, my actual answer to the question is I don't think the quality underneath of the content, <laughs> I, I don't think that's changed at all. I think people that are making good quality content are still the same people. They just have a world of extra opportunities to, yeah. to work with that and, and engage with their, their, Ways their to fans. That kind exactly. Of thing. We've found out different things about what quality means on different platforms, though. I think that is true. Like, yeah. I think if you look at, like, on, on Hopster, we have like some massive, like, premium, like, super expensive, millions of pounds to produce shows, and they're beautiful and they're amazing. And many of them do very well from a viewing point of view. But right up there, like, punching pound for pound we have like short form how-to videos we have short yeah. like short form music videos independently produced we have some of our original content that performs like on par with things that cost much 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 more to produce and which have what you would want to set a much lower production values um, but they're well written they're right for the audience they fit what we yeah. do as a platform and they deliver great results um, so I don't think like quality remains important, but I think we found out different things about what quality is, right? And I think YouTube yeah. taught you that, right? Yeah. Like, like, like <laughs> unboxing videos would not have been on like linear TV, um, unsurprisingly. Um, um, but hey, guess what? Like, like, and there are good unboxing videos and bad unboxing videos, right? And there's a reason why some unboxing videos do better than others, um, and there's a reason why the people who do well on YouTube do well on YouTube because 
maybe they're not, they don't have the same production values, but the script is tight, the, um, the immediacy is good, the yeah. relevancy is high, they yeah. understand the platform they're on and they understand their audience. So I think, yeah, I mean, quality is still remains important, but I think quality means different things on different platforms. Yeah, so just to say very briefly, I mean, at the BBC, we, as, as I know, we all, we all share this kind of, the quality word has been really, really grappled with because we, we, we are about quality, quality programming, and absolutely it's, it's kind of people's perceptions of it is so clear. Whereas, you know, some of the things that we've been making and trying out and, and doing really challenges that, that notion of quality because, like you said, you know, it is just kind of the rawer the better in some, in some instances as long as it works for that platform. So, yeah, we've had some very challenging conversations about quality. I think, I think a big question here is making sure the, whoever is producing or distributing the content is asking the question why. So everyone has a different reason. So if you're... So for our clients, we've got Cartoon Network, Mattel, Power Rangers, some of the biggest TV properties. Those guys should not, in my opinion, be doing unboxing because digital content for them is about continuing continue to connect with audiences outside of transmission. It's about nurturing the brand. It's about getting people back to tune in. They're probably trying to sell some toys. It's premium. So what is good digital content for them is very different to someone who is working from home uploading unboxing videos and just wants to get a new brand out there and get 10 million views a day because that's about fast scale really working the algorithm how many videos should i upload a day what time should i upload because if i make if i get 10 million views a day i've just made ten thousand dollars well ten thousand dollars doesn't really matter to a massive media company what matters to them is getting the next series away or getting another shelf in walmart to sell their product so what those two uh, producers are doing is very, very different. And then there are some people who are using social platforms just to try and create content that they believe will have value over time. So they don't necessarily want 10 million views, but they want to test something, pilot something on social that they learn kind of what the audience wants, they get some views, and it means they can go to the BBC and say, I think we've got a character here that's bubbling up online. We, you know, is there a TV commission in this? So the why is really important and our clients tend to get very very excited about original content and the first thing we say is why and they quite often want to do unboxing we just say please don't do unboxing that's <laughs> not right for you because the reason i wouldn't do unboxing is is the great thing about these platforms if there is a market for unboxing around a brand it will have already happened the audience will have done it and if, it, if it's happening and it's getting millions of views if you do it yourself you won't do it as well as the audience and you'll be on five, page five of search because they're already on yeah. so you're not going to get seen anyway so you know it really varies from a client but that puts, a, client that puts them in a tricky perspective because they really have to address that issue like you can talk about the content side of it but then mm. there's also just the business side you know mm. youtube still remains what is it the second biggest search engine in the world yeah, if yeah. they don't put something in that world that represents their brands and IP when they're being searched for then someone else will exactly as you say so yeah. they have to have a business strategy that encompasses what that platform needs to fulfill a requirement for the user. Yeah, but if it's happening, yeah. great, let it happen. Yeah, yeah. Go with it and then find the... Because really, as you said, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world. So unless you can... Whatever you're doing, and this is, I want to say, what is good digital content? It's the combination of great content and understanding the platform you're about to mm. upload that piece of content to. And so, your audience as well, surely. Yeah. Absolutely, that goes for me with the content. But unless you know you're going to get on the first page of search then you're not going to get any views. So if you have a product and it's 
full of unboxing videos with 15 million views, you're never going to get on the first page of search. Don't do unboxing. Do something that's relevant, that's not happening, that allows you to uh, drive drive viewing. Yeah, well, so one, of the, one of the amazing... Sorry. sorry. You go, you go, yeah. you go, you go. <laughs> so, I, so I agree with Andy. I think, yes, brands are, are looking, to way, looking for a way to supplement their brand recognition and grow their brands on YouTube as well because YouTube remains a dominant platform for discovery and search. Uh, and while, you know, a lot of the linear brands are rights encumbered so they can't put their full-length episodes, they also want to find ways of where they can create similar content. So while unboxing may not be the right medium, what we are exploring, what we are exploring with these brands is like uh, doing stop motion or something that does yeah. the storytelling tell, but at the same time keeps the brand aesthetics and brand values in place. So we are seeing a lot more of like moving away from like typical unboxing but more like toy play depending on yeah, you know if, if it's a licensing or merchandising play. Yeah. They want to, if they have a channel and they have a YouTube channel that's big enough, they want to create a you know, sensible toy play video which is still scripted and offers a good uh, a narrative. Um, and a lot of stop motion as well. So, so I, I agree on the unboxing part because, and even on the unboxing, like if you look at the content that's out there, it's moved away from you know someone just creating uh, in their living room to Ryan's toy review, which is like which is a pretty which is the you know largest mm. YouTube channel. I think there's a there's a sort of interest, interesting analogy with like what happens in the app store as well and, and apps. I think one of the good things that's happened over the last year two years is we've by and large killed the idea of 360. Um, like you used to see, I used to see a whole bunch of stuff commissioned or pitched where people are like, this is a 360 project, this, this show is going to be a 360 project. It's going to be a video, there's going to be a YouTube network, there's going to be an app, there's going to be a game. You know? And it's like, like why? Like, like why would that inherently be a good thing? Why do you need to do all of these things if it's not true to the... It's not, if it happens that your project naturally comes to encompass all of those touch points yeah. over time, great. But like starting from, most things are not naturally like all those things on day one. Most things are naturally a video or a game or a book or whatever it is, and then maybe naturally extend into one other thing. Uh, and I see, I think there's more and more recognition that you need to, if you're commissioning content, you need to start with a platform that it's right for and then like cautiously extend elsewhere. Um, and I think a whole bunch of people made videos or commissioned like, like video content and then like made an app a few years ago because it was like the right thing to have an app um, and got like, 5,000 downloads at 99p each, and we're like, okay, that's, that was underwhelming. And that was, that was, <laughs> and that was my digital strategy. Um, uh, and there's much more, like, by and large, you, think, you see, leaving aside some European grant-funded app projects, um, you, see, you see more thought going into people, I think, of a lot of original content projects around what is the right platform for this and what platforms do I really want to be on and what platforms should I not be on. Uh, and I think that's positive. That's disappointing because I was just about to say that digital allows 360-degree projects. <laughs> wait, wait, just because it, it allows doesn't mean it should. No, but right. my, my point is more if you do, I agree with you 100% that you need to have a strong base. That stuff like YouTube is seen as the destination, but really it's an output as to other stuff that you're doing. You know, Most of the views that are generated on YouTube come from something, and all of them do, whether it be search or directed from an app or whatever it is. But what digital content does, does mean is content that can be connected to other stuff directly. Oh. Whereas linear content, you broadcast it out, um, I suppose most people decide, um, try and see if they're gonna sell some toys on the end of the road and whether the business is gonna build and whether the IP is gonna build. Um, but actually, digital does mean that your content can be directly con uh, connected. Not as well as anyone would like because you have walled gardens that operate the 
the digital ecosystem that don't play, play nicely with each other and won't allow that kind of stuff if it's not in their self-interest, but still much more than you could before. So if you have, like you say, if, in my position when I was an app developer, if you have an app and you have video, you can weave the two together. And the, the user at the other end of that does not see your work to, to navigate different platforms. They see a seamless journey if you do it right. So um, when kids open up the, the apps and they play a video player in there of the brand that they've been playing the game of, they don't see the, two, the three or four different ecosystems that have led to that journey, but they do, they do navigate around your ecosystem. You know? If you go into the parental targeting world, then you can also link to, to stuff which brings revenue for companies like commerce, or, which is going to come more and more into the mix in the future. How can you directly link content over here to attribution of of retail and other things at the other side. So that ecosystem will be the next thing that develops and opens up is your ability to connect the stuff that you do to everything else that you do. Great. We, we've talked a little bit about unboxing, um, and I wanted to uh, go back to what you said, Rachel, about how that video we saw last night really tapped into a moment. I just wanted to open up. With unboxing, it, it's something happened, and this massive hit sort of evolved, which, as I think we'll all attest to, no one would have seen coming. Uh, what makes a video or, or a platform go viral and successful? Do you guys have any thoughts on, on the, the audience psyche? Is it, is it industry-led? You know, talk to me a bit about that. I, can, uh, I think it's very hard to say that uh, social media share can uh, create a viral video for kids' content. Uh, probably because, you know, under six, they're not on, really on social media like Facebook or Snapchat. And over six, they are, and they refer, you know, videos are referred to them by their friends, etc. So under six or, you know, about six, it's pretty much the parents who are, you know, putting the content. So it's yeah. still very much co-viewing as what parents think uh, is appropriate. So it's very hard to say that, you know, they, it's viral because, you know, my child shared it on this platform. And do, you, do you think unboxing, though, sorry to interrupt, do you think unboxing was a parent-led thing? Because I, I don't know many parents that I've spoken to who actively enjoy letting their children watch that. You know, so that, that for me, is something that, that just sort of exploded and it had to be <coughs> kids-led. Are children, uh, children choosing that or are parents? I, I think it's, I mean, it's a, it goes to a little bit about evolution of YouTube, right? So it was what content was available on YouTube 12 years ago or how it has evolved over time. So there was dearth of premium content. Brands were not really putting content out there. So you had you know, children or parents creating these unboxing videos or just filming their child and putting it out there not knowing what's going to happen. So I think part of the reason why unboxing became such a big phenomenon is because there wasn't a lot of content. And the content, if you are looking for Bob the Builder or other brands, the only videos that are being served to you are those unboxing videos. And eventually it became so big that they went, you know, Ryan's Toy Review and other channels. They started creating videos in a more professional manner. So it may not be parents-led because they didn't set out to search for unboxing video. It's just that the content they were receiving back in like five, seven. And most of you, if you look at the, most of the big unboxing channels, they, they started like five, six years ago. So you can see that, okay, there wasn't, probably wasn't much supply out there, and this is the only thing that was being served. I think nursery rhyme content is more, sorry. I think nursery rhyme content is more towards the parents, and that's the kind yes. of thing yeah. you saw. And actually, unboxing <laughs> is not unboxing. We belittle unboxing, but it's yes. toy play. Yeah. There's stories <laughs> in it. There's narrative in it, you know? And, and a lot of times, they cook, they, in, the, in the case of Ryan's, they, com, they actually combine that with a vlogger as well. 
So you have dual power. I mean, when I was a kid, I predicted unboxing way back because I used to watch the adverts recorded back and forth as much as I did the content that was after them. And I wanted the Action Man playset, the whole thing. I wanted to have the whole thing in my room yeah. like it was in the advert. Yeah. And this is what these guys do, and they build narrative into it. My son watches that because he, they tell stories about the toys, and it can mm-hmm. directly translates to the stuff that he's doing. And it's hit on a real consumer psyche trend. It's not a fad. It's a thing that is really cool and has been going on for a while. So I think we, we use those terms quite yeah. dismissively. But if you look under the hood of what unboxing is, there's nothing to do with unboxing. It's all about the narrative that's within it. I think Sorry. The only point I was going to make is I think we've also... It's not like viral's dead, but I think we've, like, we've got a bit more sophisticated about viral. <laughs> right? like everyone used to say viral's like, oh my God, this amazing piece of content. And it's sort of, by some property inherent to it, it went viral. And I think what you've sort of figured out is like, there's an enormous literature and skill set now around like understanding the YouTube algorithm yeah. and the Google search algorithm and how Apple do App Store promotion um, and what gets highlighted on different platforms. Uh, and you suddenly realize like, the biggest single determinant in what makes something go viral is how it plays into the algorithms of those underlying technology <laughs> platforms. Um, and that doesn't mean it's like the content that's not, doesn't mean the content's not important, but I think we've got much more sophisticated about this idea that there's like this completely neutral set of platforms yeah. and it just like, you just create content which will go viral by virtue of its own properties. It's, there's a dynamic interplay with the technology platforms that are on there. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd just, just add to that though, um, I, d- I, d- I do agree with all of that, but you know, just going back to unboxing, like you said, it is, it's the, it, it's, the content is important and the, how it makes the audience feel is hugely important. At plus the algorithm, and that's why it is a bit of a science with all these different platforms. But um, unboxing, it's like it's, it's quite obvious. It's like the most important, the most amazing moment of a child's life is like Christmas, birthdays, opening presents, the surprise on the face. There's a bit of drama there. There's a bit of wow. Um, of course, that that would be something compelling to watch, and that's why it's kind of become so such a such a a thing and, a, and it's almost like a genre in itself now so because it, it just it just it's, it's tapping into what that that, that child feels and, say something and yeah I think I agree with all that but you, you really mustn't underplay the role of the algorithm in the breakout yeah. here of unboxing so you've got and I think your question was could industry have done it I think the answer is probably not because really what you've got although I agree with all the things you're saying around the content um, really what you've got is people at home who have become incredibly sophisticated in their ability to analyse search terms. So most unboxing, unsurprisingly, is around pepper. Or So you find highly searched terms, you create long videos, and then what happens is people are on the platform so much that the minute there's a one or two videos that are a success, you then see everyone jumping on it, and that just fuels the algorithm. So you've now got... Uh, lots of unboxing in search. If you watch an unboxing video, you will almost always now get a suggested video, which is unboxing, and then more people uploading unboxing. The algorithm really gets onto it, and suddenly we're all talking about unboxing. And yeah. so uh, that, that's just something I think we have to bear in mind. And I think what's going to be fascinating on YouTube is you know, if, you, if you go onto the YouTube Kids app, I guarantee you won't see an unboxing video. No, um, so... The extent to which the algorithm plays with the YouTube Kids app, kind of introducing more what we would probably call premium content, I think how that plays out 
is going to be really fascinating. There's going to be tons of unboxing on YouTube Kids, but they won't call it unboxing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah because yeah. the same content is going, to be, it's going to be moved and shifted in the eyes of, of, of YouTube and the guys that run it into premium content producers. Exactly. It's the same way user-generated content used to be Little Baby Bob. They were user-generated yeah. content, okay? Now they're not. Now they're a brand. It's the same transition, and it's the same thing of relinquishing control of production into the, the big, bad world where every, anyone can do it and then letting, letting it go. But I agree with you 100% that the reason my son watches unboxing for a long period of time is because he enjoys it. The reason he sees it in the first place is because of all of that stuff, yeah. the yeah. algorithm yeah. And, and the fact that it's been pushed up to the surface. I think the same goes for, besides unboxing or toy play, the same goes for gameplay video. I mean, Minecraft mm. became such a big phenomenon because if you look yeah. at it in real life, we all, I mean, growing up, you all enjoyed watching my brother play King Kong or whatever games because I wasn't as good as them. Uh, so it was fun just watching them play. And that same thing shifted onto a digital platform and everyone enjoyed uh, watching Minecraft videos. That's a fascinating example, Minecraft specifically, <laughs> because I don't think it would be anything like it is now unless no. it came at a time when you could share yeah. exactly the, the video and the content that you were making and you could commentate over yeah. it. Absolutely. And, and just a final thing, sorry. Vi be being viral is an interesting term as well. So for us... We tend to see viral videos either on Facebook because they're being highly shared. Everyone's sharing it, and so suddenly you've got something that's being shared everywhere and it's gone viral. Yeah. On YouTube, viral tends to mean it's being embedded all over the internet. So when yeah. we run the Graham Norton show, we'll upload a video, and suddenly we see Huffington Post have embedded it, and suddenly everyone's embedded it. It's gone viral. Unboxing isn't really viral. It's just getting lots of currency from the YouTube algorithm, which means it's being viewed on that platform. So it's kind of quite it's different, I think. Yeah. And the social element doesn't exist in the kids' space. Because your yeah. point yeah, about exactly. the fact that it's, uh, it's kind of the parents deciding is a factual thing. Yeah. You know, let's be clear, there are no social channels for under 13 apart from the one that we run, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, so the, the, that ecosystem actually is one of the things that I was going to say for what's coming next in this space is how, what is viral for, the, for that kid's audience outside of just context. So the, the videos that are most popular in watch time on YouTube pop up. And actually virality, as, as you said, came from sharing, you know, word of yeah. mouth in the digital age. And that for me, is completely missing the kids' space at the moment yeah. because social platforms are not, are not the place for them. Either they, they absolutely shouldn't be there and there are no under-13 users of Facebook or Snapchat or even YouTube. Um, or it needs to be something, a void there that, that is going to be filled, whether it's us or other people that are going to be building that up. Yeah. So we've come to this naturally, um, and it's sort of the theme of the entire session is what is next? Um, so I sort of want to specifically address that, um, and I'd love to know all of your thoughts on what you think is next in the digital industry. But, I mean, let's start with you, Rachel. Um, hello? Um, let's start with you, Rachel. Um, we obviously heard last night that there is going to be this injection of cash, um, mm -hmm. care of the BBC, which is wonderful. And we heard Alice talk about how a lot of that is going to go into digital. So what, what does the future hold for digital at the Beeb? Um. Well, I think what the, how the strategy transpired is kind of um, what, what, we, what we needed and what, what we've missed for a long time is kind of uh, an investment in our infrastructure um, and, a, and a look at how we, um, we create our own ecosystem um, and connect audiences um, to, to our content in all these different ways and all these different platforms. Um, Better, better enable relationships with our audience through personalization, through um, reward systems, through profiles, um, trying to cre create a, a better kind of bed across our, our, our platforms. Um, 
Uh, Tony Hall uh, yesterday talked a lot about sort of personalisation and, and how that, that, that is going to tr- pan out for the whole of the BBC. Um, and and, and we're, we're kind of sort of looking at that across, um, across children's as well. Um, from a... Uh, that, and, and then the, the other part of the, the strategy, obviously, is, is content and, and what we're going to do there. So we are looking carefully at, um, um, as I think we've said before uh, on this session, um, we have to look at audiences a lot more narrower than we have been doing in, in BBC Children's. So we, we serve 0 to 12-year-olds. We have a number of different platforms. We need to grow platforms to certain audiences. And we need to ad- acknowledge that each of them have different needs. So we've been doing a lot, an awful lot of work into... What, um, what our audience segments are, what their needs are, who our best friends are, who our, who our not best friends are, and there's, there's, there's a number of them. Um, so how, how do we meet their needs, and how do we meet the needs of the platforms? And it's a really complex picture, so I don't think it's going to be one big, new, shiny app with a door that you open and walk into. We're going to have to look at uh, a kind of different, different contents and different platforms for different audience types. Um, so as Alice, Alice said, we've, we've, we've launched um, six projects, there's, there's three new apps coming. Um, two are, are really fitting into kind of the needs of the very young audiences and, you know, the first choice media for, for young children is, is through their parents, as we've just said. So, you know, CBeebies Learning um, app feels, feels right. We need to then turn our attention to YouTube and, and what we do there. At the moment, we have a CBeebies channel. Um, but, but how do we... How do we you know, look at that and build genuine content that will personate with um, the, the, the parents' first media choice for, for children. And then moving on to CBBC, we're just, you know, trying, really trying, you know, we are working within a product culture um, more and more and really trying to, 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 to put out things and, and, and find what, what works for the older audience because, my God, they're a tough crowd. We're not allowed to put them on social media. We, we have limited, you know, they, they are fractured. They're majoritively on YouTube and, uh, and, 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 it's, and it's a difficult one. So I think that's how we're, we're addressing it. So there's, there's a load of opportunities us to kind of really get under the under the bonnet and quite underpinning what what Alice was talking about yesterday was kind of really tapping into the audience needs and that's how we're we're starting so you know a couple of years ago we used to make like 100 games a year or something um, and I was very unpopular when, when when we kind of decided that was that was not the right idea and we just went right back into kind of making much fewer games much fewer games across what what get what titles and brands and characters would work in the game game space and and lo and behold we are starting to make much better games and be a good partner to the industry and have more budget to spend and we can craft these things so much more so um, so I think we're just we we, and we, we are definitely looking at well, like the needs of the audience so our product roadmaps are not just titles and timelines and. Um, and lines it is it's definitely starting with the strategy and what segment of the audience we're fitting because you can't really make a game for six to 12 year olds and you just can't do that so let's think about i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you there Rachel, just because i'm getting the, the amber light i wanted to um nick <laughs> go over to you what what's next for you what's the future hold at hopster uh so i think it's a good thing for, well, for us at hopster i mean we are um we're busy growing our platform in um, lots of different places. Um, we're particularly focused on sort of growing UK, US, and Australia. And that's going quite well at the moment. I think one of the things that's really exciting for us, though, and for the industry, is I think you are 
slowly getting to a transitional point where the, the money is moving. The money is moving away from linear TV channels being the sole commissioner of commissioning, and you are getting meaningful monetization in digital, whether it's on uh, niche SVOD platforms like ours, whether it's on, on YouTube, where there's, there's real money for uh, starting to flow in as that audience grows. Uh, super awesome do. Uh, a great job in getting digital for kids to be a place where advertisers are comfortable putting their ad dollars. And I think that tipping point around kind of meaningful amounts of money following original content into digital is really exciting and interesting. And I think that um, that hopefully that kind of kicks off a self-reinforcing cycle. You get more money going in, the quality <laughs> continues to improve, and that further drives audience. Um, so I think it's an amazing time to be a content producer. I think it's a great time to be running a consumer-facing platform. Um, I think if you are running a TV channel, you might be screwed. Um, uh, but it's going to be super interesting. Andy, do you have any final thoughts on this before I want to hand it over to the audience for questions? Uh, so linked, I guess, to what Nick said, I think, I guess my hope is, if, if you really simpli- oversimplify the world today, you have linear and the streaming platforms of Netflix and Amazon where we have extraordinary quality and premium content. And then we have this new thing that's emerged through mobile viewing, which is YouTube. And I just think creatively there's an amazing space in between the two that no one's really got to yet, which is up from unboxing, but it's not the quality of Octonauts. And the money, the eyeballs have emerged on mobile and on YouTube but the money hasn't creatively yet got there. So that's a really interesting space to me, and it's going to be the broadcasters coming this way. For I think the announcement last night was amazing because that's around some digital-first content. Hopefully people like Nick are going to raise lots of money from private equity. He deserves to, and some of that will go into more premium content on digital platforms. YouTube have got YouTube Red. Hopefully their budgets grow, and that, that's just the interesting space for me. But we kind of need money. We need funding. Yeah. Uh, because funding from AdSense on YouTube doesn't get you to that quality place. Um, but that, for me, is the exciting bit. That and that's where Little Dot is focusing, is that right? In so that we are, on our original content in the kids' space, we are not... Yeah, we're, we're... So we're producing originals, which are really about that middle space. So it's not about getting millions and millions of views for, uh, for, for YouTube AdSense. It's more around how can we create the stories of the future, new production t- uh, techniques that could create opportunities for us off YouTube, whether in Nick decides he wants to commission it or the BBC decides they want to commission it or we produce 15 episodes and Sky Kids want to license it. So we're using YouTube for that purpose, not just to get millions and millions of views. Great. I'm going to have to stop it there. I'm sorry, Paul. We've got a, a few minutes and I want to open up to questions. Does anyone have any questions at all? If we don't, we'll continue talking. So put your hand up if you have a question. Are we asleep? Is anyone still awake? No? No questions at all. Does that mean we've answered them all? Because they were all good to you anyway. Fine, okay, give your answer then. Uh, I can't remember it now. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I think um, my, my, I thought a lot about this because my reputation hinges on this because I say that I know about digital, so I need to come up with a really good answer. My answer for what's coming next is hinging on what the the big four or five tech players decide they're going to do as an approach for the family and kids market because that will filter down to how much revenue and how much opportunity there is. Um, and that is really kind of an elephant in the room because not that, that addressing in a, re, a meaningful way of what family and kids is on yeah. all of the social platforms has not been that at all. 
Um, uh, YouTube and Google are probably the furthest along with Family Link and other stuff. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> until that's kind of addressed and we know that, until there's money for con- kids content producers in Facebook in base terms, and, uh, until this stuff blows up, I think, um, and there's an approach there, it's really difficult to see. Um, and my answer is that uh, along the, the same lines of these guys, that there's a the, the gulf between the very low um, cost and the very high cost mm. content in, in, the, in the world is rapidly emerging and, cl- and closing up, which means that you've got a lot of opportunities to look at your IP across those and decide. I think one of the things that I would definitely see coming is more of a view as, of digital in its span and length and over a long period of time rather than focusing on what's going what's to be my launch plan for, for one year. You know, More of a, a focus on the fact that all of these things interlink and, and users don't really see the different yeah. walls that exist between them. Um, so that would be it. And then the, the other element which we spend a lot of time thinking about because it is tied into that in terms of the, the narrative with parents and the way you navigate kids on social and, and privacy is the GDPR um, and compliance issues that are bundled around this. So the next few years are, are kind of governed, which is probably what the tech guys are wrestling with, is how you deal with data privacy as the new enforcement comes in for GDPR over the next few years in Europe, um, which will define that, I guess. But yeah. in the short answer is really good stuff. Keep making really good stuff. I'm make sure make great out, stuff. Right. Your, rep- uh, your reputation's in tatters. That was a tatter. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Coming uh, last- from you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, last chance for any questions, otherwise I'm going to ask another one. Anyone got any thoughts? <coughs> no? Oh, yes. Yes, we have a gentleman over here. Can we give uh, him the microphone? Yes, you need a microphone. This is going to be a tough question on the Hops the Road, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got me from the BBC. <laughs> um, what does the uh, panel think about uh, Netflix's foray into interactive video? Did everyone hear that? That was what does um, the panel think about Netflix in foray into digital? Uh, interactive. Interactive. Yeah, interactive. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah I will. I'll take this. Um, I think. Uh, I think it, like for ages it's been really interesting. I think like Netflix and Amazon in some ways have been like the dog that didn't bark in um, kids' content commissioning because I, I talked before about like a digital mindset. And although digital, although Netflix and Amazon have always produced for and produced kids' content, but they basically did it in a very linear way. They had big budgets. They bought something. They made it all and they shipped it out and they looked at data and put in a bit of data to see how it was working, but. They adopted a fairly conventional commissioning model. Um, and I think it's really interesting to see them starting to innovate on the format. Um, and I know they put like two, a bunch of development work into those interactive stories. I have no idea if those will work or not. Um, I think, I actually think they probably will, at least in a limited fashion. But I think what's interesting is not so much these individual pieces of content, it's what it presages. Um, because we haven't yet really, I think, done particularly interesting things on innovating in the format of kids' content. You do a lot of long-form videos, you do short-form videos, we do games. Uh, And actually bringing together video and interactivity, I think, is a super interesting space. We do things around that in Hopster. Uh, I think we're right at the start of using... Uh, like direct feedback to kids using like uh, voice recognition. I think if you watch a kid talking to Siri or talking to like uh, interacting with a voice recognition system, which you absolutely can do now on Apple TV and Amazon Fire at really high fidelity, you open up a whole bunch of interesting content innovation ideas. Uh, and I don't know if the specific approach that Netflix are taking right now is going to be successful, but I think it presages a really interesting era of big scale technology companies innovating around this area and like if you iterate right sooner or later you get it right two huge consumer trends there that i don't think are going to go away in terms of video consumption and then interactivity so uh, absolutely i think i I think actually you guys and the s4 guys 
in general, are the people that should be leading because they are the experts from UI. And this is about UI. This is how do you translate that? How does the user understand it and, and kind of navigate through this, this interactive video um, and this interactive story without it jarring and becoming difficult? So I, I haven't um, <clears throat> used it enough. I don't know whether this particular incarnation will work, but those guys, the Hopsters, the yeah. S4 platforms, the Able platforms, they're the ones who will be able to navigate this. And it does collaborate very well with the on-demand rhetoric of everything being there, you just need to follow the path as an antidote to just watching a series linearly through one after the other. Do we have any final burning questions? No? No more thoughts? Great. Okay. Well, I'd love you to join me in thanking a fantastic panel.